Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders that are taking what the market gives and then some. We feature leaders and teams that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and doing it predictably and sustainably. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Exvoyant, the one-on-one sales improvement platform that's transforming how high-growth sales leaders use Salesforce around the world. Create one-on-ones your reps will thank you for and use Exvoyant to help your sales managers create unique plans for every rep on your team. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we've got you. Hello and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. Today, we are joined by a badass in our industry. We have Jake Dunlap, founder and CEO of Scaled. Scaled helps sales teams grow faster and more predictably by using technology, consulting, and strategy to help innovate the way an organization interacts with their buyers through the whole creative process. Scale works with some of the most exciting and innovative companies in the world, and they're going into new areas that I'm really excited to talk to Jake about. Now, before joining, before starting Scale, he has an amazing uh, history as a sales leader that we're going to get into, and I am super, super excited to have Jake love join it. us today. Jake, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us, baby. I love it, man. I'm pumped for this. This ought to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I, I'm fired up. We've had a couple of good talks getting ready for this. And I love what you're doing at Scaled. I think you guys are doing I appreciate things. it, man. Why don't we start by having you introduce Scaled to our listeners and what it is exactly that you do? I mean, look, you did an amazing job of it. Um, you know, it's been six over six years now. Um, and, you know, really, if you think about, you know, the, the going back, and I know we're going to talk about it, I started Scaled because the, the void I saw was that you have sales training organizations, you have your typical consulting companies that love to come in and charge a lot of money and tell you what to do. And the void I saw was that a lot of organizations needed help with strategy, but they needed people to actually help them to pull it through. Like, you know, don't just tell me what I'm supposed to do to expand internationally. Help me to actually do it. And so, you know, we've been doing that with companies for the last six years, you know, growth stage organizations, large, you know, Fortune 100 companies that are trying to, you know, innovate. And that, you know, has really been kind of at our core is that results driven partnering with leadership. and, And it's something I just really believe in that, you know, I... You know, I love training and I love doing it, and but I love seeing lasting results, and and that's really what we're all about. And and we just launched a new group a few months ago where I really believe that if you're in marketing or in sales and you're in B two B and you're not paying attention to what's happening on LinkedIn right now and the way that your buyers are behaving, there's a massive opportunity there. So we just launched a group, Scaled Media, where we're doing LinkedIn digital B two B presence management, and we've got three people in that group. And, you know, lots of interest there. You know, we've, we're kind of going through our first beta customers now. And it's, it's just super exciting time right now to be to be in B2B sales. I totally agree. And I also totally agree that there's a big opportunity for the kind of services you provide. I think sales leaders have maybe it's, I don't even think it's arguable. I think we as sales leaders have the most important role in a company because we drive everything else that happens. But I also, we like to think so. We like to think so. Right? I'll always have that, Jake. <laughs> but I think it's I think it's a lonely it's the loneliest position. It's it's a sure. really important one, dude. It's if you haven't sat in that chair like you and I have sat in that chair, it's a lonely spot, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I got posted about this. It is, and, and it, it's lonely. 
but you're also making more money and getting a lot of equity too. So, you know, part of it's like, <laughs> you know, like, look, and granted, not, there's no chance you're going to make it four years where all the vests, but you know, it, you get, you get compensated to deal with some of it. But I think a lot of us are just gluttons for punishment too. We just love going back in. We love the thrill of building and we just can't get enough of it. I get that. So let's really quick, uh, and so so we can establish a little bit more about your background for those that might be sure, new to you. Uh, just a little bit about your history that led you to starting a scales scale. You you worked at some really cool companies. You've led some good sales teams. You're you're not you're not doing this. There's this joke about consultants as those that can't do consult. You've done it. Can 100%. you just share your story that led you to where you are? I respect yeah. it because I, I, I relate to you so much, man. Yeah, well, I appreciate that, man. Yeah, so look, I mean, my background, I came, you know, grew up in the Midwest. And I didn't grow up in kind of venture capital. I grew up in, yeah, I think they call it Silicon Prairie now, right? Like, Iowa. Silicon Slopes here in Utah, so we have Missouri too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, most people in the coast don't even think we have cars in Missouri, so that's a whole other thing. <laughs> so, so grew up in Kansas City, huge Chiefs Royals fan. Um, Nice. Went to college in, in Missouri as well too. And, you know, for me, I, you know, my sales, my sales journey started there. You know, I sold, I did telemarketing. I sold MCI WorldCom. Love I that. sold vacation packages. I was on a podcast where I like role played my, we, maybe we can get into that later. I'll, I'm happy to just like start role playing immediately. So <laughs> I, you know, so I, I didn't realize it, but I, I gravitated towards sales very early on. And I think like a lot of people, you don't think about it, but after my first job, I just knew kind of like this is my professional career and what I wanted to do. So, um, graduated college, had a passion for sports, um, got a job in sales with the, uh, the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, and, and that was kind of like, you know, my dream. I wanted to work in sports and then transferred, uh, to the NHL and went out to Phoenix, worked for the Coyotes. And, you know, what I realized is that sports, sports is just like entertainment. You know, you're kind of treated like, look, everyone wants your job, right? And so I realized I'd rather make more money and go watch teams that I enjoy versus, you know, working in sales at, you know, certain organizations. And I also, I, I hadn't learned this lesson yet that I thought sales was God's gift. And I told my boss to F off and he didn't really appreciate that. And <laughs> I thought we had that relationship because, you know, sometimes sales <laughs> leaders get a little too familiar with their staff. Yeah. You know, like they get drunk with them on the weekends and stuff. And then you're like, we're, we're buddies. I can tell you to F off. Like, no, you can't. So learn that lesson. So, um, so if all you got get it, from this to this today is don't tell your boss to F off. You'll be better off. Yeah. Dude, don't do it because, and look, and, and by the way, and the other lesson is for sales leaders. Everybody is watching you and, and that's shame on you too, that if you go out and you have that relationship and then when people cross the line and you, you, you have that reaction, you know, that's on you too, as a leader. So I'll just give that caveat. I take responsibility, but as a leader, I think I learned a lot from it. So, you know, and then, and then what happened is I got into tech sales. So I, I happened to join at the exact right time at career builder when they were kind of in their heyday before the kind of financial meltdown, 2006, seven, eight, nine. And, but also during the meltdown and, and had some very successful teams. So got into tech sales, um, was there for almost four years, had some amazing opportunities, led the number one team, um, at a 20 plus inside sales team for two years in a row and percent to quota, um, uh, they paid for my MBA, went back to school, got my MBA at Arizona State. Um, so worked full time, got my MBA and, and went and got my MBA full time. And that was, you know, really what I saw, Rob, is that as a sales leader, what I realized is we are very insular. And what an MBA offered me the opportunity to do is I got to see how finance thinks, how engineers think, how operations people. And it really helped to expand my mind, um, you know, outside of just our little sales bubble. 
And, you know, given that opportunity, it was just kind of like too good to pass up. They were offering to pay for it at the time. And then, you know, what that really set me up to do was I'd spent four years in this human capital. Um, I made a really critical decision. And, and I just, I think this is important for your listeners to understand, especially people that are, you know, maybe sales reps or even sales leaders and they're thinking about their career. Look, I was at two and a half years at one of the top teams in the entire company out of a, you know, thousand, two thousand person company. But I realized at 28, I think it was 28, 29 at the time, I didn't have enterprise sales experience. My team had closed some, you know, six figure deals. But I, and I realized at 29, there was no way I could tell a grown ass man what to do if I didn't get my ass in the field and do it. And so I transferred back into the field coming from the number one team because the next step up in leadership, like this was not going to grow me as a leader more. And so I went back into the field in San Francisco. That was kind of like how I made the loop from Phoenix to San Francisco. Spent a year was, became the youngest national account executive out of 75 account executives at 29, was managing Intel, Safeway, did that for a year. And then Glassdoor came knocking and I was, dude, Glassdoor is so lucky. I, I did not, I didn't know what I was getting myself involved in at the time. I knew it because I was in the space, but this is 2010, right? Yep. And, but, but what I did do in my career is I always set myself up for the next, next steps, right? Like I went to, look, I'm in Silicon Valley now at this point, right? I went to school at Missouri State University. Do you know what that means in Silicon Valley? It's like, is that, you know, did you, where, wait, where did you go to school? Like they, they offer degrees there. Yeah. Um, and, but, but because I had, you know, look, I had enterprise sales experience, right? I had proven success there. I had proven leadership experience. I had went and furthered my education to really get a better sense of, yep. you know, an organization as a whole. So when I got that offer letter, I was 30 years old when I took over as the head of sales, I, they, they had made a mistake and they had actually rescinded an offer from someone. The offer letter I got had someone else's name on it. I knew this guy and he wow. was almost, he was almost 20 years older than I was. Wow. And the reason is I had put myself in the position to be ready for that role when it came up, even though I didn't know what that role is going to be. And I think a lot of people aren't very purposeful about their careers to really think about, you know, you don't get, you don't get picked for a job and then you figure it out. You start to do that job and then you get the opportunity to do it. Um, and I think so many people don't take that very purposeful um, look at their career. And so Glassdoor, I was very fortunate. I didn't know what it meant that like, you know, benchmark and you know our the chairman of our board was a guy uh, rich barton rich founded expedia founded zillow and then glassdoor it's like i didn't wow. i didn't quite know that how lucky how fortunate i was like glassdoor was never going to fail right like there was just very little pieces i didn't know and so we we hired 40 people in the first year went from zero to a million dollars in arr in the or i'm sorry mrr in the first year wow. closed 25 percent of the fortune 100 in the first year and a half um and you know, I, I attribute that to all like the, the success that I'd had in the past kind of, uh, you know, tallying up to where we are now. And so went to, went to be a VP of sales at another startup and then just realized, look, my passion is helping companies. And I think I actually do it better from the outside. And to your point, because all of our consultants are ex sales leaders, you know, I'm not employing the person who's been a consultant for, for 10, 15 years, you know, who's been advising people. These guys have been, you know, it's kind of a rule. Like you have to have been in the field or actively in the field in the last, you know, year and a half. And so, you know, sales is evolving so quickly. If you're not, if you're not staying in touch with that, you're just, you're out of the loop. And so that's, that's where we're at today. So today, if you fast forward, um, I'm actually here in our, we've got offices in New York and Austin, got a bunch of people remote. Uh, we opened up our office in Austin as we're growing and scaling our, our own company. Uh, we've got about, what about 35 people between, you know, kind of our full-time FTEs and then also consulting staff. So we, we've grown rapidly over the last couple of years in particular as companies are, I think, more open to the idea of bringing in outside help. 
I love it. That's a killer story. And it sets us up. There's so many things I want to talk about. This time is going to go so fast. I'm, I'm already pissed off at the clock, Jake. And so given how you started the story, I want to go to something I didn't expect to talk about, but I want to start with, if that's okay. You were willing uh, to go and step back because you want to be purposeful in your career. You knew you couldn't lead enterprise unless you've done enterprise. And one of the things I'm hearing a lot, and I want to hear your thoughts on this. I'm hearing people say that experience is a little overrated and it's not that big a deal. I see you smiling right now. So you, yeah. I'm guessing you've probably heard that too. And I want maybe a little of your thoughts around why it's so important to be purposeful in your career. Just so you to set the stage, we're the sales leadership podcast. We have at any given, the first week you'll have over 2000 people listen to this. It's either people that are leaders or they want to be. And the big question we get all the time is how do I become a sales leader? And you already kind of started there. I have a lot of people say, do yeah. I really have to have led or have done it before I can lead it? Look, well, the answer I think is actually no. I, I may, there's maybe a world where they, I could see the answer being no, but, but I'll just give you my take on it and, and people can do what they want with it. So I'll tell you, I learned a very, Evan Ross, I've talked about this story before, but I'll, I'll tell it here too. So Evan Ross was a leader I had at Career my very first leader. Yep. And one of the things he said to me very early, and this shaped my whole career, and I try to pass this on to everybody, is um, we're sitting there and we're talking about goals. Kerbalder is very big on goal setting and doing that with your team. And that was, you know, I didn't realize how transformative that would be. And I said, look, my goal is, you know, this is my director. So my boss's boss at the time. I came in as an individual contributor. And one of the things I said to him, I said, look, my goal is, look, I want to get into leadership as soon as possible. I've already done this. I actually led a small inside sales team at Tampa. I've proven I can sell, et cetera. And he goes, leadership isn't a goal. I go, what do you mean it's not a goal? He's like, it's not a goal because you don't control it. He goes, I control it. So therefore, being a leader at your company isn't a goal because goals have to be something you can control. He said, so Jake, let me tell you what you can control. So let's think about goal setting. Are you at the top of your team in activity? Are you setting it? Are you leading by example? Are you obviously, you know, like a good seller? And third, like, are you leading trainings for the team? Are you being not just mentoring, et cetera, but are you like proactively trying to make your team better? And that dude, that just hit, I was like, oh, so in order to be promoted to leadership, you have to align to your boss's boss's expectations of what leadership is. Boom, light bulb. And what ended up happening is two months later, I'd only been at the company for three and a half, three and a half months at the time. I had had that conversation. There was a woman who moved to relocate and open the office. She had been at the company for two and a half years, almost guaranteed the job. And I got the job um, whenever we had a new leadership uh, opportunity open up because I knew it. I was like, look, Number one activity, doing that number, like number two on the board, doing this, doing this, doing this. I'm like, here's my resume. And then I put together this territory plan and like this whole, that's the other thing. Everyone, when you're going in for like an interview for leadership, put together a territory plan. What do you expect to do in that territory? And and I actually had a professor I'll credit with when I got the job in Tampa. I I really feel like there's a major reason I got the job in Tampa. I went in, I said, how am I going to sell season tickets in Tampa? And I had a plan. I said, how am I going to sell hockey tickets in the Arizona sun? I had a plan. Nice. And, and, and that job in Phoenix, there were 35 people that flew in for that group interview. I was the only person that got a job. Is that and, right? And historic. Yeah. And it, because I, you prepare for the job you want and ahead of time, you don't sit back and you say, I think I'm crushing it in sales or whatever it is. I should be promoted. It's the same thing for all of you who want to be a CRO or VP. You start acting and behaving like a CRO or VP now. And then when opportunity comes, you're ready for it. You don't, you, you gotta be prepared when opportunity comes. You can't wait for opportunity. You know, you don't just magically get picked. And I, I think it. that, that's the issue that people have. And so for me, going into the field and becoming enterprise sales is something that I, that was experience I thought that I needed. I could see a world where maybe academically you could understand, you know, the, the pieces of it. For me, 
it was important that I got that knowledge firsthand because that's, that's where I draw a lot of my, you know, confidence and power from is having that, that real detailed understanding of what goes into big, nasty enterprise sales. And it's still like my favorite type of sell. Um, so that, that's kind of my story around promotions, man. It's how I've got the jobs that I, I've wanted in the past. And I've always, I've always set myself up for that job. I've never waited. And, and that, and what Evan told me, I think really, you know, helped to arc my career because I started to really start to realize what it meant to be, you know, a professional and how to grow. And I've never really been very good at politics, but, yeah. but he helped me to, to understand how to, how to get promoted and, and how to think about those things. So the experience of being purposeful helped you get the promotion. Can we just, before we go off of this, I'm really intrigued by this and I'm really sure. grateful that you brought it up. What yeah, does it do for helping you have an impact with your team? So getting the job is one thing. Being highly impactful with your team is another thing altogether. I've seen lots of guys be able to talk their way into a job or people talk their way into a job that when they get in there, they just aren't able to have the impact that they were hoping to have. Does yeah. that experience and that purposefulness help you as a coach or a leader or someone that can help people win intentionally? What does it do for helping you develop people? Yeah, there's a couple of things I think I'll bring up. One, I did it because I like it. I like learning. I went in there with a very specific goal. I'm going to sit in this seat for a year and I'm going to, I'm going to learn enterprise sales. It's like, it's the same reason. Like when I, when I went back and got my MBA, I wasn't there to jack around. Like I went back to learn things that I knew that I didn't learn before that I thought would be helpful in the future. So I think not enough people really understand why they're even sitting in the seat they're in. Mm. And if you don't know the like, why are you sitting in that seat? Then you're not going to know what seat you want to be sitting in two jobs from now or three jobs from now. So I feel like people just aren't purposeful enough about what they're trying to get out of the experience. And, you know, rain or shine, you know, you got a leader who's like really hard on you or soft on you. You know, like, are you getting what you want out of the job versus relying on someone to give you the, tr the training? So I, I feel like that's, that's something that's always set me apart. Like I've always been very purposeful about what I'm trying to get out of the role as opposed to just like hoping that it would surface through osmosis that someone would magically pick me and like mentor me and, like, I just never relied on that. You know, I went out and, and tried to focus on owning my own, my own professional development, uh, from, from day one. So for, for me, the enterprise sales move, um, I knew that that what I had seen the Delta is that, look, we had closed some six figure deals on my team. I saw the Delta and I saw like, okay, so what's the next leadership? So, so I easily could have went up to the next, it was called like the strategic accounts, but I saw the type of reps that were in that group. I saw the leaders and I'm like, I'm kind of there already. My team yeah. is like almost there. So if I go spend, is that where I'm going to get the most leverage is by going and spending another year in leadership in that group? Or am I going to get more leverage by going, getting that like strategic? And, and it was just a very straightforward black or white decision. It's like, that's the right thing to do. Go do it. Right. Like I'm playing the long game here. I've never taken a job for money in my entire, well, I take that back. The Tampa Bay or Tampa Bay to, to Phoenix maybe is a little bit of money, but I learned my lesson really quickly. You know, uh, never take a job for money ever, ever, ever. And, and, and try to never take lateral moves, you know? And, and I think that if you live your life by that and you are purposeful about the job that you're in now, you know what you want to get out of it. It makes that future a lot easier to know, okay, here's my Delta between the man or the woman that I want to be. And, and so therefore I'm being purposeful about what I'm doing today to prepare myself to be that person two, three years from now. Those are two good rules. Don't take it just for money and don't take lateral. You're good, man. We haven't even gotten stuff I thought we were going to talk about. And this is already good. I love this is it. This good, man. I love it. I'm telling you, you're going to be one of those those guys we have on as a regular repeater, I think. Let's um, do it. Let's talk about the name of your company is Scaled. And, and I, it's because you help people scale. You get into high growth mode and then you stay there. Is that a fair way of saying that? 
Yeah. And I, I think, you know, we try to, you, you, your, your plane starts to fall apart. You have duct tape and you need someone to give you some scaffolding around it as you're flying. You know, like that's the, the best visual I've got for it. And that's a really good visual. I was just on a plane that wasn't allowed to take off because of that very problem. So I relate to that. <laughs> I'd um, probably get off the plane. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So let's just, let's just hit that for a second. I mean, that's what we try to help our listeners do is how do you take more, you know, what the market gives and then some. And then some are my favorite three words. What's the and then some? So when you think about sales orgs and you think about when you come in, how do you scale? I mean, how do you get into high growth mode? How do you stay in high growth mode? Maybe the way we start is what's the most important thing a sales leader ought to be thinking about? What do you want to get right? And then the backside of that is what's maybe the most common thing people get wrong? Yeah. And I'll try to make, I think that there's some intertwined, intertwinedness. If I don't know if that's a yeah. word or not, but yeah. intertwined, intertwinedness um, between, between these two topics. I, I, so maybe I'll actually start with the end. Perfect. Con- consistently, and look, and I made this mistake too, you know, I, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about my own failures. Um, consistently the mistake that I see is that the amount of time and effort that we put into onboarding, well, everything from role, role profiles to interviewing to onboarding in the early stages of scaling, we try to get people on the floor as fast as possible. And that's what leads to high churn. We don't actually train or onboard our people correctly. And then we wonder why attrition is higher than we want it to be. We wonder why our ramp time, every SaaS, every SaaS sales leader I know says that they have a three month ramp time. If they're enterprise, they say it's six months, which is yeah. obviously BS because everyone's using the same metrics, like and every sale is going to be different. And so <laughs> I, I, I think the amount of attention paid to the onboarding process is the number one lever that every SaaS leader needs to go and analyze. Like as soon as I hear this, like actually hit the stop button right now, stop listening to me and go look at your onboarding process. And if you just do that, you are going to see like, and then, and then I want you to go compare that to what Salesforce does. And I want you to go pair, compare that to what other best in class companies do that train and onboard people. And you're going to see just how massive the Delta is. And that's why your people aren't ramping. And if your reps are carrying a half a million dollar quota and it takes them an extra month to ramp, that's $2,000 every day per rep, uh, that you're losing. And, wow. I don't think that we pay enough attention to that process. And I certainly didn't either. Like I'll, I'll think back to, again, I hired 40 people in a year and oh my God, man, our attrition was not good. And, wow. and it was, and it was because like, you know, you get in that scaling mode, man, and we've all been there and I don't care. You can, anyone can lie and say they haven't said it, but you've been in that situation where your CEO or someone, you look at your hiring forecast, you're trying to hit, you know, 20 million, 50 million, a hundred. And you're like, well, my forecast says we need bodies. Like, Right. No. Shit. Yes, Shit. that's right. Like we got to go. But so I would say that's a mistake. Right. If you invest in getting your role profiles right, I would rather now in, in retrospect, always leave the head open. And a lot of people talk about it. I feel like it's really easy. And I almost know that 99% of the people that talk about it, you know, are probably people that behind closed doors actually don't, you know, actually just, you know, throw bodies at it. But I really feel like if you make that your mantra, we're only going to hire the best and we're going to treat them the best and we're going to onboard them correctly. We're not going to expect them to know everything when they start, which I think is what a lot of sales leaders do. Um, I feel like that is the number one area. And, and if I look at my, my failures as a sales leader, and that's certainly where I can point to most of them is that I, and even as a CEO, I feel like, God, these, this, this, I, you know, these are the mistakes that I make as a CEO now too, where, you know, you feel like you have a need and you rush it. So I think being very, very, um, rigid 
in your role profiles, your interview process, and how you train and onboard people is probably the number. And then as part of that onboarding, that's where the playbook comes out of, right? Like you've got to have something for people to work with and that teaches me best practices. It teaches, and, and, and not only the playbook, but buyer personas. I feel like I used to think buyer personas were arts and crafts exercises, right? I used to be like, well, yeah, there's Rick. The, but now, But now it's like, look, I'm joining your team. I've never, maybe I've sold in your space or I haven't. What do you think? What keeps these people up at night? How are they KPI'd? How are they measured? If you spend all your sales onboarding teaching people your buyer personas, right? And just drilling in their head, what, how do they make money? What, like, what, like, what do these companies do? What do these people do? You know how much better sales conversations your people are going to have? Because guess what? They're going to learn how to talk to people's business and not how to like go and be a demo monster. And so I feel like the amount of time we spend on the buyer and the onboarding process is a joke. Um, we spend too much time on the product, not enough time on the buyer and their business challenges. Um, and then, and then the playbook and, and particularly how to run a proper discovery process. I feel like that to me is a massive area. And if I go and I audited your team of 20, 50, 100, 200 people and I listen to your discovery process, how, how similar would it sound? Because it damaged, it, it should sound very similar because you, you need to uncover challenges and you need to understand, you know, understand business pains. And I think most companies, don't invest enough in that, those kind of process and infrastructure things very early on. And then they wonder why reps don't ramp. So and, can we talk about that for a minute? Can we yeah, go into that? Cause yeah. I, I think that that's another really good one. I, I, I'm with you. I think getting that discovery, I think like, dude, I, I, I feel like I'm in a, a sales church right now and I'm giving you an amen <laughs> right now. Okay. Hallelujah. I'm you, yeah. I'm giving you an amen right now. Okay. And, and you're right. I think that product training is too much. I, I've always said do problem training, which I like because that's kind of like what you're talking about, buyer that's training. Right. And, and so I, we're speaking the same language, I think. Uh, the discovery thing, there's a lot of people that talk about it. There's Everybody talks about it. Everybody, I think though, you're right. I think sometimes it's just lip service to it. It's just like, I'll ask two or three questions so I can show you what I do. What are the elements that makes you know you've done discovery right so you feel like you can move on to something else? Well, are there some best practices that you've seen? Sure. Yeah, what I'll try to do is make this very practical too, which Perfect. is just like some just dumb small stuff that you can do that'll change the the quality of the conversations and, and deals that'll progress to later stages. Because um, look, I can tell you consultative or challenge. I mean, I, and I believe in all of that. Yep. But but a couple of things I think that are just very basic. One is role and fit. Who is this person and how do they fit in the organization? I cannot tell you how few. Sales organizations, when we come in, are asking, "Hey, Rob, as you know, look, as a CEO, and look, I looked at your background. You've been a sales leader. I know that you could be responsible for every part of the business, or focus on, you know, maybe sales and marketing. As a CEO, what are your top two core areas of responsibility? Now, yeah. guess what? Rob says CTO, finance, whatever, and, and I sell into sales. I know that I need Rob to shepherd me to whoever that is. So, so we try to make people the people. So just understand who the heck you're talking to and don't make assumptions based on job titles, who it is. And by the way, the way that I phrase it is also very specific. If you go to CEO and you don't use the words one or two and you say, what are your top priorities? Rob's going to be like, dude, I've got five billion. So you say one or two, that's like, that's more techniques. The other thing is, look, if you just ask why after every single response twice, you're going to get to the pain (laughs) or, or you're going to understand there is no pain. Hey Rob. So in 2020, what are the top two priorities? for the organization. Well, it's this and this. Why? Well, because last year we blah, blah, blah. Okay, well, why is that important to fix now? Well, because of blah, 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 and we're trying to raise money. Blah. Like, if you just learn how to ask why twice, like, you're going to be doing better than like 85% of people. 
What so, an awesome tactic. What an awesome just, just, just say why. Just Super say why easy. twice, man. <laughs> Understand who you're talking to. Say why. And I, and I think the other thing that I can't fake for you is you have to care about solving the business. You have to like to have business conversations and you have to enjoy helping people in their business. I truly believe that if you don't enjoy one, you shouldn't be in sales, right? That is just flat out. If you at the end, you wake up every morning and you're not passionate to help people solve their business challenges, you need to go hang them up because you're never going to be all time. You're never going to be legendary as a sales leader, a VP, a CRO. If you don't genuinely believe that your job is to help people. So to me, it's kind of like those three things that, and because, because I want to help you, Rob, I'm going to ask those extra questions. I'm going to be more curious. And, right. and I think, so it's those three things. It's role and fit is tactical. Why two times it's tactical. And then to me, there's a qualitative, which is, you know, you have to care about their business. I can't make you care or you have to care, you know, about solving business challenges. For me, it's interesting. I actually fall more into that ladder group. I care about people. I'm not the most empathetic guy. Um, but I really love solving, solving challenges, which makes me, which is why I think, you know, I'm better as a consultant. So Jay, I think the third one's the most important one. I think that one's the one like, you can learn to ask why twice. You can learn about the role. You can learn stuff. But if they really buy into, like, I, I listen to you talk right now, Jake. I'm buying what you're selling. I'm still in that sales church giving you an amen because I can feel and I can I can see the authenticity that you yeah. really want to help solve that problem. I believe that we we have to we have to overcome that every time. This sale in the absence of a relationship, they're like, the hell am I talking to you for, right? And if they believe that Jake genuinely likes doing this and maybe he actually can help me think of something I couldn't have thought of on my own, I'll give you time, man. That's, that's right. And I think that, and, and I want to separate this. I don't love the wine and dining stuff. You know, I don't look, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love, I love wine, a beer. <laughs> I like, I'm a huge Chiefs fan, Royals fan, you know, like, but, but I love, I don't need another friend in Seattle. Yep. I'm sorry. I, like, and, I want to help you. I want to help your business. And look, if over the course of a period we become friends, amazing. But I, I'm, I want you to view me as a trusted, like I know my industry. And that's, that's actually something we didn't talk about in onboarding. You got to teach people the industry you sell into too, yes. that, that they need to, and that goes back to kind of LinkedIn and the things that people should be posting is more about their industry and less about their company. Um, so I, I feel like there's, there's a lot that goes into it. And, and I think that curiosity or that, that natural wanting to get to know, that might be the difference that separates an A from a B player. I can build an army of B players if I can just get them to understand who they're talking to and uncover compelling events. I can build an army of B players. And for a lot of us, I mean, look, you can all say you want to hire A players, but sometimes when you're scaling to 300, 400 people, like you need to build an army of Bs. And so, but how do you foster that? I think it's by teaching reps what go into uncovering maybe they don't naturally have that business acumen and so there, there are ways to teach that though i think so i like that so the place that you started when i said what do we got to get right you went immediately to the discovery it is dude it's all that matters yeah all that I matters mean, i mean if you get that right does that solve like everything. so many other problems that like, everything late funnel fall off again companies come to us all the time jake our biggest issue is closing like we have a blah, blah, whatever, insert issue. Jake, our biggest problem is negotiate. Like, is that word blah, blah, blah. Jake, our big, every time. I'm like, no, actually it's a discovery problem. And it's like leaders don't even want to hear it. They're like, yeah, no, no, Jake, we just need a playbook. I'm like, no, no, that's not actually what you need. Like I, it, we've audited your calls. We've listened. You guys have to ask better questions. 
And that is going to then solve your late funnel drop off because you're going to understand that guess what? There was never a compelling event in the first place for them to move forward. That's going to solve your reps getting up to speed faster because they're going to actually understand an industry and customer because they're going to ask better questions. Like asking better questions is, is the heart of sales caring about it. And then, then I think, look, maybe the, the twin to that is then how to, how to wrap what you do in terms of how you solve for that versus product speak. That's, that's kind of the, you got to be able to do both to be all time. But I feel like if more companies just focused on the questions they asked, so many sales problems would go away. So you've said something three times now. Um, so I'm going to ask you about it. I hope it's okay. All right. What was it? You, you talked about compelling events three times yeah. now. And there's, there, I think that you're, you're right. That's a big deal. But I also think to some people, they use it as a buzzword. If that makes yeah, sense. for sure. And so can you give me, give our listeners a little bit of, of clarity? Cause since you brought it up three times, clearly it must be important to you. I love can that. You, can, can you prospect for it? Can you profile for it? How do you find them? How do you know you really have, can you just give some thoughts around how you scale around compelling events rather than Dude, I love this follow-up question. Yeah. I love this because you're right. It is so, so critical to get right. So, so I'll tell you, there's a couple of things. One is you have to understand the difference between facts and issues. Okay. Right. And I think that that, that is to me at the macro, a fact is I need to hire 50 salespeople this year, but guess what? I could already have 40 of them in the pipeline. I could have a bunch of people. I just, I just can bring over from my old role. There's a whole bunch of reasons why that wouldn't be a pain, right? Like, it, but, but we, I think what happens is we move on from the surface level too fast. We hear, we need to hire 50 and you're like, boom, I'm the guy. I can help you hire 50 or, Hey, we need to set more meetings. Boom. I can sell you some sales engagement software. Like, Great. You need to set more meetings. Why? Like, right. I, I feel like you, it, you can only understand if an event is compelling, maybe to kind of break down these two words is if you understand the really the business drivers and the priorities in the business, because I'll give you a good example. I'll, I'll just pick sales engagement as a space and I'll say, look, um, yeah, you know, look, we need a way for our reps to be more efficient. You know, I think a lot of reps would hear that and go, ah, oh, boom, money, perfect, compelling event. Got Jake him. just told me like, that they need the reps to be more efficient. Okay. Let's ask the first why first yeah. next why, which is, you know, because we missed our Q3 number. Okay. Is that, it? well, let me ask you, is that still a pain? No, because guess what? What if my pipeline's fat for Q4? I'm still going to hit it. Right. Okay, great. So, all right. So tell me more. So like, are you concerned now about Q4 in 2020? Yeah, it's a big, it's a big priority. Well, okay. So if I, if I say all the priorities in your business, is this a top two or three priority? Yes. Or, Mm, you know, we've got a few other things. Okay. Well, let's go talk about those. So I feel like, again, if you, the compelling event is something that it, it really is a challenge to the business and whatever the relevant threshold for your product is, you know, and, and that, cause each could be different, right? Applicant tracking system. You're, ain't cha you're changing that every three to five years, CRM. But if there is a low switching cost, then I'm going to look for someone who's looking. And then I'm going to say, look, so is this something you're trying to solve in the next 30 days? Is this something you have to solve in the next 30 days? You couple, I have to solve this in the next 60 days with this is one of my top pr two priorities. That is the definition of a compelling event, period. And so I think if you, you've got to get down to it, then you understand the time frame that there, that it has to be solved by and the why it has to be solved by that time frame. And then you, you, you know, if you got it. So, so you just, I have this metaphor in my mind, Jake, as I listen to you, you just gave me two awesome definitions of a, of a compelling event that I want to like restate and make sure I got it right. Because I, I want our listeners to remember this, like the glue that I think of, because you're talking about compelling that makes it stick. I'm thinking of that two part epoxy glue. You get those two things right. And you got this glue that will stick your deal together. Right. 
And so one is, is it a top two or three priority? And I have to have it done by 30, 60, 90, whatever the number of days is. If I know both of those things, I can now go back to my leader or myself and say, I actually have something worth fighting for here. Yeah. And, and the why is between each one. I think that, that, and this is an important clarification, Rob, because like, let's say you talk to someone. Yeah, Jake, I need to get this solved in the next 60 days. Why? Why? Because that could have been some arbitrary number that that dude pulled out of his ass. And, and I, and and I'm always banking. I'm, I'm never having happy years, right? Where I'm like, Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Look, Rob, you said it. So why? Well, Jake, because we have our board meeting on December 4th and I need a plan. Boom. That's it. Why on the challenges side? Well, because we're going to miss 2020 if we don't fix it now. Boom. So you got to get to that why, you know, why it is happening now. John Barris has something. I can't remember what John's now. He's like, why me? Why now? Or something. But I feel yeah. like it's like the third why. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to build on it. John and I are friends. Like it's yeah. the, to me, it's the third why and the third why now. <laughs> like that's, that's the meat. Yeah, no, John's awesome. I again, he's one of the, my favorite guys as well. We've had him on the show. That that whole why you what my why you That's it. why yeah, me yeah, yeah, why yeah. now? It's why you why me right now, right? And the third why. I want you to get to the. I'm going to take that. And yeah. John, I love you, man. But like, it's it's not just the first why because too many reps start at the, stop at the first why. You got to get to the third one. That's going to tell you do you have something here or not. Getting to the third why, man. That's that's a good. Uh, Jake, this has been so good. I mean, we still have a little bit of time, but Let's do I, it. I'm looking at it, it's like, what do I want to, where we want to go? Like, like, this has been awesome. Our, 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 our listeners are getting a, a great experience with you right now. So good. when we started with what do you got to get right? What do you, what, what's the most important thing we get right? What do we get wrong? You yeah. want to discovery. That's the most important thing. We've, we've had good stuff there that led us to critical events. Um, is, is the, is the discovery also the most common thing we get wrong? It's the most important. I want to make sure I got there. Is it the most common? Thing you get wrong? Well, the most common, I think I talked about the most like onboarding and training. Like I feel yeah, like that's okay. the most, com- yeah, All that's right. the most common. I feel like All the right. discovery process is something that we take for granted the most that okay. you assume that people know how to do this correctly. And you know, like, and you know, look, I, I use this analogy a lot because I think it just, it, it really hits the point home. The amount of, look, as a top performer, Rob, I don't know if you, you did this or not. I always had a script. I always had messaging and things in front of me because guess what? In the discovery process, if I didn't just have my little, thing in front of me, I forget. I look, and I had ran, I ran tens of thousands of sales meetings. I still run sales meetings. And if I don't have my base check line of like, I go to this, this, or this, like you will skip or miss a question. I promise you, et cetera. So like the analogy I always use, I don't think that we, I feel like we are so terrified as sales leaders to use the word script today, even though the discovery process, in my opinion, should be scripted that there are certain now granted, you know, you might do some follow-ups, but just because someone says something that you do, you don't jump to it. You save it. You talk about it when you're ready to talk about it. And that's all this whole idea of having like, and, and the reason I think scripts are so important is, you know, Anthony Hopkins reads a script a hundred times before he does a role. And I'm like, Oh, you, you think you're better than Anthony Hopkins? Yeah. Oh, Johnny, Johnny, yeah. you don't need a script. Yeah. Like, Oh, you, oh, okay. You're better than Anthony Hopkins. You don't, you can just go in, you can wing it. Like, no dude, you're not better than Anthony Hopkins. And so, I, I just don't know why people have such an, like an aversion to it. I'm not suggesting that you have to, you can't like remake some edits to it, make it your own tone and voice. But to me, it's because they don't document the discovery process as rigid as they should. And right, it's so- okay to do that. It is okay sales leaders to document things. It's okay. You're not bad. No, I'm glad you went there because this, tells me where I want to go for our last part of our conversation before we start to wrap up the way we wrap up with everyone. And I want to make sure I have time for that because you, you'll have some good conversation there. So 
as you scale, that means you're getting bigger, right? We're getting bigger. We're, we're at, we're getting customers. And that means we're probably adding salespeople and we're going from one office to two offices to a global situation. Yeah. How do you try to remove variance? I mean, that's got to be for me one of the, the big challenges. How do you, how do you go from having, you know, I, like we, we help sales leaders. So I have customers that have 200 sales leaders that support 2000 sales reps. Yeah. And I say, you know, if you have 200 sales leaders, how, how many sales coaching or sales leadership uh, approaches do you think you have? It's almost always, I have 200 ways that my, that my, my reps are like, do you see what I'm saying? That's not good. That's not good. Yeah. How do you, how do you eliminate yeah. variance? I'll, Is that I'll a fair question? Do you like that? that totally. Comment? I love it. Yeah. I love it. Cause I think we've got it. I think, look, I'm not saying we have this solved, but, but because, but I, but I do think we have a good framework for this. Good. And this is for, you know, again, and I'll, this is a lot of our larger clients. You know, this is kind of the, the way that we think about it. So I'll just kind of lay it out for you. So you got to think of there's really two different kind of sales. To me, there's two different sales kind of, you know, we'll call it pieces that you have to get standardized. Okay. There's your behaviors and your competencies. What, what are the skills that go into being a successful salesperson at insert the company, insert the company. And those are the core, you know, it could be eight, nine, 10 behaviors. It could be things like, um, multi-threading. It could be, um, collaborates internally. It could be, um, undercovers, you know, business objectives. There's a whole bunch of skills. And, and, and by having a set of core competencies, what that allows you to do is have a, have a common framework across your sales organization of what skills equal excellence for your group. Now, what you can also do then is like, let's say, so for one of our clients, for example, they have a software solution and they have a more kind of variable solution. So we can still take those sales behaviors and we can adapt them, right? But it's still the same names. And the same conventions, it's still the same behaviors. Now it might, it just might manifest a little bit differently. So I feel like you have to have a, a core set of skills and behaviors that everyone knows. So then if you transfer groups and Rob, I'm working with you on, you know, um, creating multi, you know, creating new relationships or something like that. Yep. And you, go, it doesn't matter what team you go to, we're all, t- and what, what region you go to, everyone knows what that skill looks like. That's step one. Step two is your, is your methodology. And, and look, I am, this might, this might go over really shitty, but I'm just going to throw it out there. Do it, baby. Do it. What, what I, I really feel like guys, the most recent methodology that's been, and I wouldn't even call it challenger sale methodology. I think it's more of a philosophy. Most sales methodologies were invented at least 20 to 30 years ago. I agree. Medic, you, you name it. And they're not complete, but really, but, so if you think about the customer at the, at, at, at the top, the, then the sale, then the salesperson um, the, you know, the first thing that infuses it is, you know, who we hire, the behaviors, the competencies, what are, what are our core sales competencies and, and how can we make that uniform across the organization, customize a little bit to each business, but we have a common way that we look at excellence in sales for, for our org. And then you have the methodology, which is how we choose to interact with the buyer. What are the things that we do say and act in a discovery meeting? What are the things we do say and act in terms of how we run a demo? So that's kind of the language that we use um, that's common across. And that's where like, that's why you need to have messaging, et cetera. And I think a methodology is still important, but I also think you need to take whatever methodologies you might be using, um, you know, and customize those to your business. And, and I feel like as a, if you can do those two things, if you have a common framework for how we talk and interact with customers at each step of the sales process, we have behaviors that should be manifested at very specific parts of the sales process. That is how you create standard. And then it's reinforced with tech. So that would be my third maybe piece I didn't mention. You have to make sure that your systems and processes have dashboards and different things that people can see. How am I doing on my behaviors? How am I doing on my method? Like in, in moving people from stage one to stage two, et cetera. So you, you kind of reinforce all that with technology and your CRM and, 
other tools. So that's, um, that's it, like dude. It. So you've given us all kinds of blueprints. Before we finish with the final things we always do, I want to give you a chance. You're going into some interesting places. You're starting to do some digital uh, presence and, and, yeah. and, and personal branding. <clears throat> I want to give you a chance to talk to our leaders on sure. why that matters, to get that in their head. I will. They should be thinking about that before we wrap up. I love that, man. Yeah, let me spend a couple minutes just talking about LinkedIn. And 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 by the way, insert social media. If your buyers aren't on LinkedIn, then like don't pay attention to it. But for the other eighty-five percent of B two B sales leaders, I'll tell you why I think LinkedIn's important right now. One, it is now a destination site that you know forty-five percent of the people that go are, are leadership level, and they're visiting you know weekly, daily. So this is a place that people are going to get information. Executives, it's no longer a job site. That's why LinkedIn's important. Number two. Most companies, the way that they engage is they push out, you know, ebooks. There's no engagement. Companies really struggle to know how to actually engage an audience. And that means you have an opinion. You have a voice. You say, Hey, I put out these, e- I, we put out this ebook, but here's the two things you need to know. Um, and here's one of our customers saying it, or even better, here's some other industry person. You know, what if you shared other third party sites and really, what if you really made your LinkedIn hub or your sales teams LinkedIn profiles a hub of industry information? So if I'm, I sell into IOT, for example, Internet of Things, you know, connected devices, it, do I want to come to a profile and see President's Club winner? You think I, you reach out to me on LinkedIn and it says I reached 125% to quota and I'm a director of operations at Honeywell. Do you think I want to meet with you? Zero chance. So I feel like companies really need to, and it's why we started Scaled Media. If anyone's interested, Jake at Scaled, you can hit me up, but it's, Companies and, and I'm giving and we give away all the advice for free. You have to make your profile a hub for the industry, not for just your company. And I feel like that is the big delta that that executives have when it comes to how they use LinkedIn, that sales and marketing teams have, and certainly how their profiles are. So that's the need that we saw in the market as we shifted a lot of our own strategy and started to see what a big uh, change that that made. And so I think any organization out there really think about the digital presence that your people have when they're interacting on LinkedIn, because so many of you are telling your reps to reach out to people on LinkedIn and engage and you're posting. And is that really, you, you know, your best representation of who you want to be in the industry? So, you know, we've got a ton of free information on it. Take all that first and, you know, happy to catch up if anyone's interested in so talk shop. Mo- about so move it. past having it be an online resume and have it be something to actually help you connect with customers. And the same, and the same thing mm-hmm. for company profile. Don't just share your eBooks, share other things, make it. I want to go to your, you know, Rob, your company's profile yeah. on LinkedIn because I want to learn about what's happening in sales. Love it. Right. Not just, it's another white paper you guys put out. It's another pot. It's whatever. It's that you guys, I go there because man, I get good information. I follow you and I'm constantly seeing you guys sharing good stuff and it's, and you have an opinion. Don't just reshare articles. Have it like, give me the nuggets. Give me your opinion. Yep. People, people want to consume content, you know, don't make me Beautiful. have to look for it. We're, we're, we're this was killer. Jake. I loved it, awesome. man. This is fun. It went so fast. Bro. I, like black, I, I blacked out for a little bit there. It's good. Okay. Last three. We have rapid fire. We finished every episode the exact same way. Three questions that we give every guest. You ready? Yes. Let's do okay. it. Number one, leaders are readers. Uh, but it doesn't have to be a page that you turn. Is there a book, an audible, a podcast, a blog? Is there something that you would recommend for someone that wants to up their leadership game that you would recommend to get their hands on or get their eyeballs on or their eardrums on? Love it. I'm reading a lot of leadership books right now. This is very, very uh, good timing. One is a book called Prime to Perform. I would check that out. It's a great book about like what actually motivates people. Another book called Leaders Eat Last by Simon Sinek, the guy who wrote Why. Um, 
two really great books about just how to think about really truly what motivates people. And there's a third book I'm reading called Endurance by a guy named Alfred Lansing. It's about the kind of first Antarctic, well, one of the first Antarctic crossings and his ship got crushed. I, I feel like you got to mix it up with these stories about people. So for me, I read like leadership books and then I read these like amazing document, like, you know, not documentaries, like biographies about people that have done these amazing things. And I feel like you, you start to realize that these like common thread between like great people. So prime to perform leadership last endurance. That's what I'm reading right now or just finished. Two, the first and last ones are new ones to the to the library. We have we have a library we put together this. So yeah, oh, I love it, man. Leaders Eat Last is a good one that has been, but but all three are those are great. Prime to perform, awesome book. Number two, this is like the most the most feedback I get on our show always comes from this question. So I can't wait to hear what you say. So everybody talks about you got to build the right team, you got to be a good recruiter as a leader, you got to hire the best people. Like you said, you, you want A players, but if you have an army of A's and B's, awesome. When you're interviewing, is there like a go-to question or a go-to thing you want to learn in the in the interview process? Yeah, I'll give you our go-to question. Um, there's an amazing book called Who by a guy named Jeff Smart. Him and his dad wrote a whole bunch of books, uh, top grading, um, uh, power score, et cetera. So I will not take credit, but we institutionalize this with all of our clients too. And I just think it's a great, a great question. We have a very strict way that we interview people in their last interview. It goes, what was the job that you were hired to do? What accomplishment were you most proud of? What was the low point? And then the question that I'm going to give you is, is from this last one. And how you phrase this is all that matters. So Rob, when I talk to your leader at insertthecompany.com, how are they going to rate you on a scale of 1 to 10 and why? How do you spell their name? John Smith. And if it's Smith, it doesn't matter what the last name is. If it's Smith, Henderson. Okay, and how do you spell the last name? Henderson. Boom. Then you get the real. So when I say, when I talk to your last leader, what was their name? You write it down physically. You ask them to, you ask them to like spell out the last name. How are they going to rate you on a scale? The answers that you get, Rob, are night and day from like what will your leaders say about you? So go with that one. Okay. Last one, man. And this is the one I'm most excited to get from you given what you Uh do. Greatest leadership challenge and how do you solve it? I think it is getting out of the way at the right time. Meaning it is, you got to trust that you hire the right people to do the right job. And I think as a sales leader, especially if you're at a rapid growth company or if you're in tech, man, it's such a balancing act, dude. You got to be in the business. You got to be out of the business, building the business. So I think really be purposeful and set those deadlines of when you're going to, how you're going to start to get out of the way and layer yourself and replace yourself with, you know, VPs or directors. So be very purposeful about your exit plan for getting out of the trenches. Okay. Dude, you're a beast. Freaking that was fun, Drake, dude. You're a beast. How do they get more of you? If they want to talk to you, if they want to continue the conversation, learn Love about it, scaled, everything you do, how do they get more of you? Yeah. I mean, so look, obviously check me out on LinkedIn. It's Jake Dunlap, just have, you know, forward slash Jake Dunlap on LinkedIn. I, I put out, you know, multiple pieces of content a day. Um, all our best stuff we, we give away. Um, and YouTube, same thing, Jake Dunlap. You can find me there. And then obviously look, Email me, Jake at scaled with a K, S-K-A-L-E-D. Um, and look, I'm always down to help. So DM me, email me. I love talking about sales, as you can tell. Yep. Uh, and uh, would be happy to connect and, and talk shop. Hey, and for anyone that hasn't connected with you, I told you this before we started, Jake's content is fire. It's awesome. Especially your most recent stuff. I'm digging it, man. And so love it, dude. if you aren't following Jake, solve that problem. Follow. We've talked about sales, church, repent. And start following him now, okay? There we go. Jake, you are awesome. Thanks for joining us. As I said to everyone, man, thanks and happy selling. Thanks. 
Hey everyone, welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast, where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? Listen, I'm a big fan of Jake Dunlap. I've been following him for a long time, and if you're not, you need to. His recent content in particular has become better and better. I, I love what he's doing. What I really like is Jake brings a very unique point of view and a very unique perspective on the discipline around getting into high growth mode and then staying there. I love how he helps people scale, whether they're young companies or you've even said Fortune 100s, he helps them scale. And I think you've got a taste of why. There's a lot of great things that, that he shared. He started with, as a sales leader, how to be more purposeful about your career. And I, I thought that was great. Uh, I loved how he said, your job is to set yourself up for the next, next step. And that story he shared of when the light bulb went on, that leadership isn't a goal uh, because you don't control it. But it's the things that set you up for that. that. That was awesome. You should ask yourself, are you setting yourself up for what you want the world to look like a year, two years, five years from now? And if not, you need to make sure you're taking care of business so you can be. But what I want to talk about is, is I think he gave us what I'm going to refer to as a, as a Jake Holy Trinity of things that we need to really look at. But the first one was the onboarding process. And, and I thought that it was really interesting how he said that the onboarding process is the, is the number one lever that a sales leader should look at. And the first thing that we should make sure we're really dialing in is, are we onboarding people? He talked a little bit about the cost of even just one extra month. We talked about the cost of, of failure in onboarding. And, and there's too much lip service. There's too much industry standard that we take rather than creating something unique. And, and he gave us a great blueprint. You know, I, I think you need to go back and listen to that one again. I've listened to it a couple of times. The thing that jumps out to me the most was training people on the buyer personas. And not just who they are, but why, why what you do matters for them. How are you relevant to them? And, and, and how do you talk to someone in a way that makes you more than just a vendor? I, I think that what he talks about there was super important. The second thing in the Jake Holy Trinity is, is the emphasis on discovery. He said that if, um, if the onboarding process is the number one thing that people get wrong, he said the number one thing that sales, leader take, take, sales leaders take for granted is a, is a good discovery process, that we, we have these happy years as salespeople and as, as sales leaders. And I loved what he talked about, the two things that you got to get right. He talked about, um, you know, it's role and fit was number one. Those are both kind of tactile, tactile things you can do. Uh, the second thing he said was make sure you're asking why two times. I love that, that tactic of, of ask why two times. Uh, I, I think that you'll find that that's a really helpful thing. And then the third one is um, can you be authentic and genuinely loving solving their problems? I, I, I loved that. The last thing that we talked about uh, with, with Jake was this idea around con compelling events and how that helps you scale faster. He gave a killer, killer blueprint on um, how to I, you know, really say what a compelling event is. And then how do you profile for them? How do you prospect for them? Uh, how do you know you really are creating and tapping into those things? Uh, I, I really am a fan of what Jake's doing. And the way he put that together was, was awesome. Um, he finishes with a great conversation around removing variants. And I think that's one of the hardest things for us to get right as sales, people, sales leaders is, is having more standardization. This maybe sounds too rigid, but I love how he said, don't be afraid of scripts. Uh, understand the common framework. Understand the behaviors and then build systems that reinforce those things. This is one of the best interviews we've had. Jake's passion. That's the thing that I want to finish with. I hope you felt Jake's passion for what we do as sales leaders. 
Um, that's why on the, the discovery, he said, do you, you need to be able to have um, a, a genuine, authentic feel of, I like to solve problems. I found that a customer at best will have half the passion you have, so you'd better be fired up for what you can do to help them or else they're going to discount you and take you away. I, I think you've got to really wake up saying, I am excited to help XYZ company do this. Uh, you can hear it in Jake. He loves helping sales leaders scale, scale teams. You can hear it. He's good at it. He's one of the best there is in what we do. We were fortunate to have him on. If you want to continue the conversation with Jake about how you can tap into the things they do to help people scale, hit him up. Follow what he does. He, he's, he's a great follow. He's an expert at what he does. We're so grateful to have him. Jake, thanks for joining our show. You're going to want to go back and listen to this one more than once. Keep this one downloaded on your phone. Come and then make sure you keep those five-star ratings coming. We want to ha hear from you on, on who you want on the show. We want to continue to be one of those top two, top three podcasts that you listen to. I'm so grateful for all of the great feedback we're getting. And, and Jake, thanks for joining us. And as always, don't worry. Just execute because we got you. Thanks for joining us for the Sales Leadership Podcast, your weekly pipeline to the most successful thought leaders and rainmakers in sales. Make sure to check out additional episodes at salesleadershippodcast.com. The Sales Leadership Podcast is produced by Brian Jepson and is sponsored by Exvoyant, the modern sales leadership platform for salesforce.com users. You can visit Exvoyant at exvoyant.com.